Hi, everybody. Welcome to my podcast, Bridging the Gap, Real Estate for Women. Nobody's on there hitting these people up and saying, hey, I get you're selling your business. Can I buy your real estate? And if the answer is yes or no, say, awesome, I'll buy it all. And maybe I'll find a buyer for the business. I'll just have a lease sign with the real estate. As a woman in real estate, I know firsthand that women are underrepresented and still tentatively venturing into real estate investing. While that is slowly changing, my goal is to propel it forward. We can do this. I am Atara Twersky, an attorney and real estate sponsor and investor from New York City. My guest today is Ash Patel, who has been investing in real estate for over 10 years and who hosts another great podcast. I think he calls it the best ever, so we'll have to debate about that. Ash, welcome to my show. How hey, are you? I, love, I do love that name, the best ever. I mean, but I mean, do you think it's really the best ever? What do you think? Uh, I'm biased, but it's not my podcast. I'm just the host. My good friend, Joe Fairless, started that many years ago. It's longest running daily real estate podcast out there. It's one of the best ever along with yours. Let's go with that. It's definitely one of the best. I mean, I found you because I myself was listening to it. So I can attest to the fact that it gives really valuable information in really a concise manner, which I really, really enjoy because as a busy working mom, like I'm pressed for time. So, so are so many other women. So I really like the way you disseminate the information really easily in a digestible, concise manner. So on behalf of everyone, thank you. And welcome to my show. I want to kind of start with a little bit of your background in real estate and how you got started, because I know you've been an investor for, for over 10 years now. Is that correct? Correct. I got started by accident. I had a W-2 job for 15 years, went through the corporate grind, never enjoyed it, hated going to work, always had a side hustle. Real estate ended up being one of those side hustles that I fell in love with. First building was a mixed use project, college kids living above a grocery store that sold beer to college kids. And I was out there one weekend unclogging a tenant's toilet, look out the window there's an entire HVAC company replacing rooftop units for the store. So in a panic, I go downstairs. I'm like, hey, I didn't authorize this. What, what's going on? And the store owner is like, look, our AC went out. We're just going to replace the whole system. And I'm blown away that they're doing it on their dime. And Atara, as I'm walking out, they stopped me and they said, hey, do you mind if we remodel the bathroom down here too? <laughs> blown away, right? I went home. And at the time, I had just started an IT consulting company. I dropped everything that I was doing and became a full-time commercial real estate investor. So I invest in non-residential commercial, anything from office, warehouse, industrial, medical, land, ground-up development, basically things that don't have showers, kids, and pets. Okay. It's, it's so interesting because I think a lot of people who venture into real estate investing, whether passively or actively, but, but more actively, really start with the shower tub multifamily, right? Or the houses or the duplexes or, you know, the triplex. So it's interesting that you said, no, I don't want to start there. I want to go into more of the commercial space. And was that because you didn't want the hassle of dealing with tenants? Honestly, I think I got lucky in that I was exposed to both residential and commercial on my first property. If it wasn't for that, I might have followed the same playbook as everyone else, gone from single family to duplex to quad to 10 unit and hopefully bigger. But right. um, I also don't think the same way a lot of other people do. 
and that's not always good. <laughs> yeah. often, you know, in a lot of situations, I don't know what's going on when everyone else does, but it helps in that I think way differently. So maybe that out of the box thinking was in the back of my mind. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure that it was. And I think probably the experience that you detail right now of, you know, somebody else is putting the bills became like super attractive because in residential, whenever there's a problem, you as the landlord are responsible, but that's actually not the case in a commercial space. Can you like explain for our listeners a little bit about that? Yeah. And we're blown away even to this day, many years later, that it's every time we have a tenant that puts money and time into our building. So historically, I've had salons that took a space with plywood floors, unfinished walls, and they put, you know, $70,000, $80,000 into making it a beautiful salon. And if they ever leave, a lot of that, if not all, stays with the building, right? So your mm-hmm. tenants improve your property. I've got a restaurant right now doing $150,000 improvement to my property. Now, granted, in some cases, you have to pay the tenant part of that money. So I'm giving them 70000 but they're putting another eighty on top of that into the building. And everything they put in stays with the building, all the kitchen equipment, the fire suppression, the hood. You know, we've had churches that have come into warehouses and they've done flooring and bathrooms on their dime. One of the most recent ones, a 10,000 square foot, basically a garage that this young lady who's also a tenant in an office of mine is making it into a boutique boutique store. And she'll put $80,000, $90,000 into that of her money. So where residential tenants put wear and tear on your property, commercial tenants will improve it. Okay. And, you know, I think that's such an amazing point about commercial real estate, but talk to me a little bit about like the triple net lease, explain to our listeners what that means. Because I think a lot of people, when they think about commercial, they think the ideal tenant, right? is like a triple net lease tenant. And I think that actually in the long run, you might be better off with a smaller tenant. So I'd like to hear about your opinion on that. And that's a great question. Let's debunk that myth about mailbox money. Everybody assumes commercial real estate's triple net mailbox money, passive income. And that's really not the case. Oftentimes, even with triple net leases, you could be responsible for the snow removal, all the repairs. Now, granted, you'll get reimbursed for those, but most triple nets are not true triple net, or you'll see them advertised as absolute triple net. McDonald's or Walgreens, a lot of those are typically what people assume a triple net to be completely passive, right? Go live on an island, they'll mail your check there. But for the most part, a lot of triple nets are some degree of landlord responsibility and tenant responsibility. A lot of times you'll see if an HVAC unit needs to be replaced, landlord's responsibility. If it needs to be repaired, tenant's responsibility. Now, The more triple net, or if it's an absolute triple net property, like a Starbucks, Walgreens, your cap rate is going to be in the fours or fives. You're not making money, right? So really the value play here is finding a property that might be just a a gross lease, converting them to a triple net and then selling at that compressed cap rate. So an ideal strip mall that we like to buy is typically, you know, an anchor tenant, a mixture of mom and pops and national tenants and vacancy. So we can fill vacancies, add value, get the mom and pops on triple net leases, and then sell the asset 
as a full triple net property. Right. That actually makes so much sense. Also, another thing to be aware of, tell me if I'm wrong, because I, I haven't ventured much into the commercial space. But just from what I know, if you get a triple net anchor kind of tenant, it looks amazing. But in reality, you can't really raise their rent in the way that you would really like to. So they're there. But again, you're not really collecting and making that much on the rentals and especially the rental potential for the rental increase. Is that true? Yeah, that's another great point. And in today's inflationary market, that's a detriment, right? So Maybe. your Starbucks, they're going to sign a five or 10 year lease, but they're going to have multiple renewals, potentially 20 years of renewal. Right. The multifamily right. space, you know, a lot of people have been able to raise rents 10, 15, 20% in those hot markets year over year with commercial, they're often longer term leases and each year's annual increase or each lease renewal is pre-negotiated and built in. So when you buy that triple net, there's really nowhere to go but down. Right. What I mean by that is if Starbucks right. decides after five years they're leaving, you've lost over a million dollars in value just from them leaving. I think that's something that people don't always understand about the triple net lease space. So I'm curious, what kind of returns? Do you bring in investors into your deals or are you mostly joint venturing? What are you doing? We do. Our returns are, so we'll pass on 15% cash on cash returns unless there's a huge upside beyond that. The very first deal that I syndicated was a year or two ago. We offered an 18% pref with a 30-70 split. So 30 goes to the LP, 70 goes to us. And this was a $5 million strip mall that we've now got valued at $7.5 million. There was so much meat on the bone that we can afford to give our investors a ton of upfront money in the way of an annual pref. And by the way, one year into that holding, we raised their pref from 18 to 22%. That's unreal. Are you still seeing those numbers though in this market? I'm curious. We are, but we no longer need to offer those astronomical returns because the market is paying six to 8% pref, 15 to 18% IRR. So right. on our deals now, we'll either do a 10% debt deal or we'll do 8% pref and then either a 50-50 split or 30-70 and maybe a higher pref. It all depends on if we buy an asset where we're going to make most of the money on the sale, or if we buy an asset where the cash flow is just high and the sale price is going to reflect that, but it's not going to be astronomical. Okay. Do you have a preference or are you kind of doing a mix of high cash flow, lower IRR? We'll find anything that we can make a lot of money on, whether it's upfront or at the end. And a good example of that is we bought a triple net strip mall from the developer as he was building it and he had leases signed. It still wasn't built. We bought it from him before the tenants mm -hmm. moved in. And the reason for that was in his leases, they're all five years, they're all triple net, but there's no renewals, which was crazy. It doesn't make sense, right? Mm -hmm. But the developer, yeah. the developer is not a real estate investor. He's a developer, just wants right. to get great tenants into his building. So, you know, in five years, we'll be able to raise these rents to market prices because these restaurants and salons and boutique stores, they'll have an established clientele and there's right. so much development going on around them. This is in a suburb of Atlanta. So we'll hit the home run in year five, but initial cash flows were 12% year one and they go up 2% a year. 
Well, that's still like you say that as though that's not an amazing thing. Uh, <laughs> but in this market, yeah, that's actually we, fantastic. Yeah, we would not have done that deal if the leases had renewals in them. There wouldn't be yeah. enough upside. This was a needle in a haystack to find triple net leases with nobody having renewals. Is insane. Right, it is kind of insane. So how are you sourcing these kinds of amazing deals, Ash? For the most part, we find mismarketed or mismanaged deals. We'll never find, well, it's rare that we find these incredible deals from a commercial broker because if they're a true commercial broker, they know how to price these properties. So residential realtors or even commercial realtors that misprice properties or the description is wrong, right? We found properties where there's way more land than what they're depicting. We'll go through some wholesaling where we'll contact, we'll, we'll partner with wholesalers where they reach out to commercial owners, but they don't know how to value them, take them down. So they'll turn them over to us, finding properties before anybody else. So, you know, LoopNet and CoStar, if you're going to find a great deal, you have to have first mover advantage. Yes. And then, you know, just smaller brokerages, right? Some yes. relationships, some networking, but mostly looking where no one else looks. Here's a great tip for your listeners. You know, go to bizbysell.com. It's mm-hmm. a business brokerage site, right? Yeah. People go there solely to buy and sell businesses. Nobody's on there hitting these people up and saying, hey, I get you're selling your business. Can I buy your real estate? And if the answer <laughs> is yes or no, say, awesome, I'll buy it all. And maybe I'll find a buyer for the business. I'll just have a lease sign with the real estate. Bought some great properties on biz by sell and not the business, just the property. Wow. That is an amazing tip. So do you do some cold calling as well, or did you ever do that? Yes. If we see a for lease listing, we'll a hundred percent call. And right. initially, whether it's the owner or broker, they'll push back and say, look, this is a lease listing. It's not for sale. Stop wasting my time. Mm-hmm. And you know, you follow up with them like, look, I want to buy this. Like, let's figure this out. Let's get a price. And it doesn't always work, but it's a numbers game, right? But but Atara, the cool thing is, well, here, here's the deal. In over 10 years of me doing this, I've gotten one postcard saying, I want to buy your building. Every mobile homeowner, every apartment complex owner, they get blown up, emails, texts, postcards, letters, commercial people. Nobody's wholesaling us, right? Mm. Nobody's saying, hey, you know, I see your for lease listing. Would you consider selling it? One right. person in over 10 years has wow. sent me a postcard and they failed because, you know, I saw the postcard. I dismissed it. I was kind of impressed, but I dismissed it. And then later on that night, I thought, you know, this property isn't doing much for me. Might as well sell it. Had they followed up two weeks later with another postcard, right. I would have called them back. They failed. So it's so funny you say that because I do a lot of cold calling, which I always say is not for the faint of heart. It's like you have to be able to take like a lot of rejection all day. From but, the East Coast, we can do that. Yeah, I can do it. But I think that persistence really is the key. Follow through and persistence in, you know, you walk a fine line. You don't want to be annoying because then people don't like you and certainly won't respond to you. But if you can find that nice way of just reaching out consistently to the same person, establishing a relationship, you will be able to make an inroad because everything is for sale. (laughs) That's the truth. Yeah. You know, I want to go back and fix one of my answers to your questions. Or did you cold call and how do you find deals? So today I really don't have time to find deals, but I've trained enough people to find the deals for me. Right. In the first 
probably six, seven years, I would spend hours looking for every commercial property that came online in a hundred mile radius. Hmm. Right. So, I mean, I put in the 10,000 hours looking right. for deals and that's how I found most of my deals. The first five, six, seven years is by just incessantly looking for every commercial property that came online. You see, I, I'm so glad you went back to that point because I think that's so important for everyone to remember. It's where you are today is not where you were five years ago and not where you were 10 years ago. In order to get to where you are, you do have to put in those 10,000 hours. And that requires an enormous amount of persistence. And that means that you might not have a team and you might not have more than one assistant helping you in a back office somewhere. And you really have to put in those eight hours grinding on the phone and by email and by text. And, and I actually still believe that there is no substitute for the phone. You know, the postcard, like you said, the postcard, you know, you might have tossed it, <laughs> but somebody on the phone who then follow ups with you again, three weeks later, a month later, six weeks later, that really makes an impact. A hundred percent. I remember I spent three or four hours a day just looking for deals and I've gone as long as nine months without finding a deal. And then all of a sudden two or three come in. Right. But I mean, it's not fun looking every day, <laughs> grinding and not yeah. finding deals, but you got to do it. You're right. There's no substitute for that. And you can't train others and motivate others if you yeah. haven't done that yourself. Exactly. You have to be in it so that you know where the pitfalls lie so that you can train somebody for them. But if you've never done it yourself, I, I don't really see how you can hand it over. So I want to backtrack a little because I think part of why we go into real estate, like you said, you had an, a grinding job and then you, you said, I can't do that anymore. So I really want to talk about like the journey of getting to real estate and what that feels like, because for me and for a lot of investors, I think it's, we want freedom of time and freedom of location and just being able to enjoy life on your own terms. Yes. So I always wanted money and that's what I thought motivated me. So in my twenties, I started a web design business, a marketing, I started a ton of different companies. And then when they started making money, I realized I wasn't doing anything with the money and it really didn't motivate me. So then I knew I had to do something, right? So might as well do something you love. And real estate is something that I absolutely fell in love with. And, you know, people will tell you they love their job. Ask them if they won the lottery, would they go back to work because they love their job? No, it's mm -hmm. a necessary evil. Literally, if I won the lottery, I would keep doing what mm -hmm. I'm doing, right? Hire more assistants right. and people to help me, but I'll never stop doing this. And so the moral answer to your question is find what you absolutely love doing. If you want to retire and go spend all your time on an island, that gets old, man. Like, what are you going to do all day, yeah. right? It's a BS goal. And listen, go on a cruise for 10 days. You'll be miserable wanting to get off this ship, right? So you've got to find something that you absolutely love. And look, it could be playing in a band. It could be DJing. Right. It could be, you know, real estate, right. whatever it is, but you got to find your true passion. As cliche yeah, as that is. I think that's so true. It's interesting that you say that because I think a lot of people say, oh, when I retire, like I'm going to travel. So, you know, I love to travel. I understand that. But I think if all you do is travel, you're not going to love that. You have to like have something to come back to at home 
that is stimulating for your mind and your soul. And that might be real estate. That might be, like you said, playing in a band. But you have to say, like, I'm going to do something that excites me. It can't just be like I'm traveling to every continent because I think everything gets old, even that. Yeah. And whatever it is, do it now. When I retire <laughs> is you making excuses. That's a mindset yes. problem, right? Yes. When I retire, we'll go to, like, travel now, right? Yeah. Do a little bit now and have that motivate you because you want to mm-hmm. do more of it because you love it and find a way to make that happen. Yes. Agreed. So let's be a little specific because sometimes when I tell people, oh, I feel passionately about real estate, they kind of look at me quizzically. Like, what does that mean? Buildings? What do you mean by that? (laughs) So I'm going to throw that question to you. Like what about real estate makes you feel passionately? One, my wife will tell you that I'm very passionate about it because as soon as anybody mentions anything with real estate, ears go up and there goes the night. I'm going to get a talk when I get home about all I did was talk about real estate, right? So that proves that I'm passionate. But what is it? Man, that's a great question. I think it's finding a deal and putting it together before anybody else. That's the win, right? Making the money on the back end. Again, it's just money that gets moved around. But knowing that you found something, beat everyone else in the market to it, or you turned it around and yes. made something great, but then all the businesses that benefited throughout the process, right? So, you know, I've I've still got smaller office buildings and retail centers where there's mom and pop businesses that take a huge leap of faith and they open up a shop or an office and they succeed and they grow. And what happens a lot is they'll outgrow the space and they leave. I can't find something else that I have for them. And then right. you have friends forever, right? Like, just the people dealing with business owners versus residential tenants. You know, I once a quarter before COVID, I used to have a happy hour at my house for all my commercial tenants. Like I want to be around these people. They're business owners. They're doing great things. They're trying to grow just like I am. So Uh, there's the passion, right? There's a lot that you said there. I think a lot of it is that you're building something and you're also interacting with like-minded people. So those are two things that nurture the soul, right? Because, and nothing against people who have a nine to five job. We need those people, but we all need each other, right? Like the world works well when we're with entrepreneurs, when we're with people who like to have a job and be told, here's your schedule. But I think maybe for a lot of people who find passion in real estate, it's the meeting of the minds with the people that they interact with. So there's something to be said for that. Absolutely. Hey, before I forget, I want to throw this out there. Thank you for what you're doing for women. My two business partners are women and collectively we're all a champion of seeing more women in this industry and we're doing whatever we can to mentor women to get into commercial real estate. We need more representation. You know, my, my partners all the time, um, they'll get on the phone with a broker or seller or buyer and they'll be called Mr. So-and-so. <laughs> and it's like, really? Come on. You know? Yeah. Like, yeah. I don't want this industry to be male dominated the way it is. And again, I've worked 
in healthcare with predominantly women. My two business partners are women. So thank you for what you're doing. Oh, thank you. You know, it is interesting because when I go to conferences, I still feel very much outnumbered, which I actually use to my advantage. So it's not a problem, but I would like to see more women because I think that women bring a certain sensitivity, a certain understanding of both the vibe of places as well as the details that men don't. I mean, we complement each other in so many ways. So having both perspectives, I think is really so important. And I really want to empower women to understand that they don't need, you know, their husband, their father to even be a passive investor. Like a lot of women will say, oh yeah, my husband takes care of that. (laughs) My dad, you know, has been investing for me forever. Yeah, I know, but like you're making your own money so you can do it now also. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you're right. You're right. Right. So how did you get to work with Joe Farrellis in the podcast? He interviewed me for his podcast back in 2015. And then I invested in his deals. I thought it was too good to be true at, you know, 22% returns back in 15. And when I wrote him that first check, I kind of panicked. I'm like, wait a minute, you know, us being from New York, New Jersey, very skeptical (laughs) people, right? right? If I lose my money, lesson learned. But if this is real, wow, like what a great way to make money. So him and I, he lives in Cincinnati as well. We became friends over the years. Now we're family friends. And he asked me to do the podcast. And of course, I jumped on the opportunity. So yeah, that's that's our history together. So I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up like the current market and how everybody is terrified. And I'm curious, and I'm sure the answer is yes, you do see opportunity. So I'm curious as to, are you buying as much as you did two years ago? Or are you buying differently? Like, what are your thoughts on where everything is going? We're probably buying more now only because my two partners, right? I mean, they're just absolute killers. But The women. Yes, the women. And <laughs> you know, what you said about balancing is so true. Mostly they balance me out, but there's times where we'll balance each other out and just having that dynamic is so good. So, and they're, they're actually both family members. One's my sister-in-law and one's a childhood friend. It's phenomenal. In terms of today's market, yes, we're buying but we're stress testing every deal way more heavily than we would have in the past. Mm -hmm. Right. And all your listeners, you got to do the same thing. Anticipate rates going up, anticipate vacancies rising, just anticipate a lot of economic headwinds. And unfortunately we hear a lot of this from finance people and real estate people. Yeah. Don't worry. Rates will come down in 2024. The market will be back. It'll be thriving again in 2024 and 25. No one knows that. Strictly. The trends don't tell you that. So just stress test every deal way more than you would have in the past. Be very cognizant of losing other people's money. I'm so happy you just said that because I think, you know, everyone rode such a wonderful wave in the last several years. You know, it didn't take a genius to do well in real estate and to bring in investors who were like thrilled with you because everyone was getting great returns. But I think now sponsors, investors really have to be more cognizant that these are people's hard earned money. You know, I take that very seriously. I'm sure you, but I've heard a lot of investors say to me, you know, I was promised these returns and unfortunately now I'm not getting anything. And I understand that market conditions have changed, but I think going forward as a sponsor, you really have to make sure that you are stress sensitivity testing all the time in your underwriting so that you're getting it right more than you're getting it wrong. Yeah, it's incredibly important. And be patient. If you are a newer investor syndicator, 
there's going to be a lot of opportunities on the horizon. So be right. patient. If you are experienced and you've got a big syndication machine that you've got to keep feeding, that's where you got to do your stress testing, right? Be afraid to downsize a little bit. You might not have to do five or six deals a year if you can't make them work. And if you're not a hundred percent sure about the deal, pass on it and wait for the next one. Yeah. Never be desperate for the deal, right? Because <laughs> that's when you make mistakes. Yeah. Don't feel pressure. Don't get emotion. And you know, not much different than stock market investing. If you want to be disciplined, write down where you're going to enter and exit each trade that you make. Do the same thing for your real estate investments. Write down the metrics that you consider to be a good deal and don't stray from them. I love that. I think that's great advice. So are you seeing, because I know in residential, and I'm curious if it's the same in commercial space, I think sellers are still not realistic as to where the market is going. And they haven't kind of understood yet that, you know, rates are really up, which makes deals much harder to work. Are you seeing the same thing in the commercial space? Yeah, hundred percent. You just have to get a lot more creative, find those people that are want to sell and they're happy with getting a decent return. They don't have to get the top of the market return, but yeah, there's such a discrepancy right now. People still think their properties are worth what they were two years ago. But you know, when you find somebody with a little bit of pain, they've got some vacancies, they want to retire, they've got a partner who's not producing, find those properties. And it's again, deal by deal, right? But yeah, it's quite difficult to find deals. On the flip side, we love the office space, right? Everybody hates office. Uh, right. <laughs> I, th I, I think people are going to come back to work as soon as the economy gets a little bit worse. Right now, right. employees seem to have the upper hand. College grads can go into an interview saying, look, I'm going to work four days a week and I'm working from home and right. employers don't have a lot of choice, but that's shifting. So I, yes. I think offices will be back in session soon. I think that's true. And it's always a good idea to buy when no one else wants to buy. So if people don't want office space, well, that's probably a good opportunity for people like you who are in this space and, and want to buy because no one else does. A hundred percent. And right now, look, <laughs> actually for the last several years, everybody's gone to multifamily. Now everybody's going to RV parks, mobile home parks, right. self-storage. They're buying laundromats. They're buying car washes. Okay. That's great. Those are all going to compress and you know, there's low barrier to entries. Find those niches that there's not a lot of people in, not a lot of right. competition. And then I guess you have to learn what you're good at and figure that out. And you can be in a space that's heavily populated if you can find a niche within that space to do better than others, whatever that is. It's different for everyone. Yeah, 100%. Well, Ash, thank you so much for coming on my show. I've been a long admirer of you. So I'm really happy to have you. And this was a great conversation for me. I'm sure everyone else learned from you as well. Thank you so much. This was an incredible conversation. Thank you so much for your time. You are awesome. Yeah, I'll see you right back at you. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye. -bye. Bye.